This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Boendik people and the Pangarang people. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and the modern Australian nation has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following colonisation. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 136 for Wednesday, 16th of September, 2020. I'm Jeremy Siapirko, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host or hosts to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, Denise Siapirko. Hello. And also returning guest host, Eliza Balage. Good day. And also your your um, quarantine buddy, uh, Tully. Welcome back, Tully. Or partner, yeah. <laughs> Hello. My partner in crime, even though we have been assured we're not prisoners. I, I don't know. It actually kind of sounds like you're prisoners. You're locked in a single room. They can take away your hot water. They can take away your hot water. Because you're going to sleep for days at a time. And you can't leave. And, and they bang on your door at random times. And they assured us we were prisoners twice. Not just once, twice. That was great. That's true. Nothing says you're not prisoners like the police repeatedly telling you you're not prisoners whilst also not letting you leave. Nothing nothing reassures you quite as much as them completely denying the reality of what they're doing in front of you. So as a real-life resident of hotel quarantine, um, because I, you know, you've had the audacity to travel from Victoria to South Australia for your work, who are not prisoners, definitely not prisoners, how's it going? Uh the bed is very comfortable when we're allowed to sleep in it, which which is usually until breakfast delivery at about eight. But you can sleep through it, but not when the police wake you up at nine or whenever they decide to knock on your door to check you haven't escaped the non-prison. But to be fair to them, it is very important that the people who are trying desperately to pass the time and to sort of survive through the time in a room... It's very important that they be constantly awake and alert and that they can't sort of dull their pain in any way during this, this ordeal. Like, it's very important that you, you that as much as possible you feel the passing of time. And you can only feel that passing of time if people are repeatedly highlighting to you the time that is passing. But, I mean, I, you got to understand, like, they, they're trying to help. They're trying to help Eliza. I think and there's I just, a creepypasta like that's like it. this. Sorry? I think there's a creepypasta that's like this. A creepy pasta. Creepy pasta. It's a website where they have all these like supposedly real but actually fake sort of scenarios, and it's like you know the guy who was locked in a room for like three weeks and he went mad. And yeah. How how are you guys going with your sanity? Come on, Jeremy. Creepy pasta. You know the internet. Did I miss here? What were you saying? Creepy pasta. Yeah. It's literally called creepy pasta. I'm not. Yeah, a, I'm yeah, not. Yeah. A... <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. We in very early in our quarantine stay, we took down one of the works of art. And replaced it with a calendar so we could cross off each day, which is good for sanity, I think. Okay, please tell me that you are also surreptitiously in such a way that you can still leave the hotel room without being charged at the end. 
But please tell me that there are places in the room where you're like scratching with your fingernails, like a little day. Yes, very time. handmaid's tale. <laughs> yeah. And and I might add the calendar is a firefighter's calendar. Firefighters with puppies and dogs. And and that's pretty fantastic. It's very important to mention the puppies. They're very cute. Because we have also, by going into a Medi hotel, been separated from our beloved dog. Which is a bit like adding a bit of insult to injury because it's like you are being forced to quarantine in this hotel rather than in the property you would rent that there was no one else in. And you were also forced to let your puppy stay with someone else or find a kennel for it or, or do find other alternative arrangements because you can't keep it with you. Anyway, on the subject of rubbing salt into wounds and being unsympathetic, I'm just saying that here in regional Victoria where we're about to be released from all of our restrictions <laughs> and playgrounds have opened. Oh, ow, ow. But it's okay because the quarantine, as you said, is being uh, administered by the very kind and caring um, police and defence force staff who, oh. um, if, they, if they knock on the door and you're not there, they, they come back later, right? We have been far luckier than some. I have had some people be asked by police when they are trying to cross the border to see their dying parent, how long their parent has left to live. Yeah, it's been wow. good. And also being threatened to be well, arrested. Well, presumably they're child. carrying the hourglass. When your parents are dying, don't you have like an hourglass that like has literally, like you can show it to the police. It'd be like, here it is, look, the sand is ticking away. And here, you know, death lent it to me. So can you, but I do need it back because, you know. He's, he's not a forgiving... He's not a library, is my point. <laughs> I, I have to say, like, that, that element that you told us tonight, which I, which I hadn't thought about before, like, I, I, I got the horror of being stuck in a room for 14 days, and I got the horror of... Uh, well, the, the whole point where, where the town that you're stuck in on the, on the SA border, like, lose, lost gas for... It was supposed to be, like, five we, days. We got How long four was days because we got put on priority for Saturday night instead of Sunday night because we're in a business. Those two things sounded pretty horrific. No, no inability to cook, inability to get food cooked, uh, not hot water. Like that sounded horrifying. I'm being stuck in the room. But until tonight, I hadn't really appreciated just how oppressive it would be that you're stuck there, and that no matter what you're doing to try and make the time pass, you can't relax, you can't go to sleep, you can't go to the bathroom, you can't whatever you can't do because at any second. Yeah, and you could be doing a real long poop. You could. You could, or you could be trying you to have an actual sleep bath. in. Yeah. Which, or you could have just got your toddler to sleep. Tully told them to come back, so that was good. Yeah, I, ha- I had a bath yesterday. But, like, so God I... forgive any couples wanting to have sex or in the middle of relations. Got to scramble like you're a teenager. No, that well, You're not allowed on. to do... No, we're not having any people... You are not allowed to enjoy your time in quarantine. You're not allowed to find any pleasure or happiness. You're there to suffer. It's Actually, it's very like the attitude that Australians have about the... Um, you can't Refugees have a phone. Because, you know, like they'd find a photograph of them. Yeah, but they'd find a photograph of them, like, swimming or playing and, some And they'd soccer. be, like, smiling or something. And so the news, the, the propaganda news outlets were immediately like, look, they're having the time of their lives because we found a moment that was captured on a ca- by a camera where somebody smiled. So if in the midst of all of your ongoing misery you ever find a moment's peace or happiness, then we'll pretend that that defines the entire period. Well, it does, doesn't it? Anyway, the important thing is that you're being punished because you've done something very bad, which is trying, you know, to travel for work. And, um, you know, they, they must, they must, everybody in that hotel has to have all of the, the joy ground out of them in such a, as well, as much as they can. And, you know, I feel like the South Australian government knows what And people... it's been really cool because I, all the people I, in the just... hotel with us are basically coming here for a job or coming back because they left. Yeah. And ha- now have 
a dying family member here or they went back to see a dying family member. So all really bad people. And we have had zero cases no, of COVID here. So these bad yeah, people no, have brought no infections. And I mean, they're good people. And like beyond that, weren't you leaving a place in regional Victoria that had, we I had think, zero cases in no our cases postcode at the time? And two in the council area. And bearing in mind yeah. that council areas in regional Vic are far bigger than Melbourne. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, I understand that very well. <laughs> Which is funny, just quickly, SA have actually had quite a few breaches. And these have been recorded in a report the other day. I think they were numbering in the hundreds. They were minor breaches, but breaches. Really? Despite it all being the ADF and the police. Weird. Weird. I, I understood that it was only whatever Daniel Andrews did that was the, the terrifying failure with quarantine. But ah, but also, even if something does happen in South Australia, it's not. It doesn't matter that they did exactly the same thing because the Victorian one happened first. So therefore, that's the only one that matters. So if you can do the same bad thing as somebody else did, but if you do it second, it's okay. Did you see? Because you're you're of course surrounded by police, but not in Victoria anymore. Um, you've seen that our, our our police over here have been doing a fine job of of uh, restoring the public's trust in them. Yes, they've been very very busy. And all of that work looks incredibly essential and also humane. Yes. So we have we saw them them cracking down on the anti-lockdown protests in, well, in, in, look, I'm not saying it's fascist cosplay because, you know, it's not just cosplay. They're more than happy to beat people up with it as well. But uh, the, the shots of them working through Victor, Queen Vic Market, like dressed oh, in yeah. ludicrous riot gear, there was a riot. Now that is the shit you think of in a dystopian novel. Oh, that, yeah. and and also the cops who've got like the thin the, the you know the the thin blue line um, badges. And... Oh, but that's isn't that? Oh no, that was New York where they said the ones that had the thin blue line badge were like to commemorate like fallen officers. Bullshit! It's part of the the far right police theory that that society is basically a bunch of savages and they deserve anything that we can do to them because it's only us and our beating them up that keeps us on the path of civilization. I saw a uh, a post that someone had shared saying this is bullshit, which was you can't have a pride flag without a blue line because without the police, there would be no pride because you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have people to protect the parades and help you do something. You wouldn't like, have no. the police breaking into gay bookshops in the middle of the night and beating up people without, to within without their police, life. there wouldn't be pride. You're right. Because pride was a riot in response to police <laughs> brutality. But you know. I, I do love all of the right wing commentators who've been whinging about the Dan Andrews fascist police crushing protest who are the same people of course who uh, a month or two ago were demanding that daniel andrews crush the blm protests which were eliza can tully can you remind me what the blm protests were about police brutality and um yeah just unfair oh yeah yeah aboriginal people in the criminal justice system inequality society yeah but 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 the 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 triggering factor was police brutality and uh yeah it does feel funny that these same people are like, there is no police brutality, you piss-weak lefties, go home, leave the police alone, thin blue line, thin blue line. And then two seconds later, police brutality, fascists, fascists, they're coming for us all. Well, Dictator Dan. The last few days, there's been a fantastic series of events in Victoria um, where a woman was dragged from her car in Wallen. Uh, a man was booted in the head uh, while police were trying to arrest him. Oh, my God, have you seen the... You've seen the footage? It's terrible. And... The guy, he was run over and then stomped on. Yeah, yeah so this yeah. one's literally filmed. And, like, you've got a the... legitimate response to anything he could be doing. 
So if you haven't seen the footage, he's standing there. He's standing there and he's like looking, but he's talk, clearly talking with the cops and they literally just run into him. They, they drive into him with a car. I think in, the, in, the, in their report version, it was like he, he, was, damaged he had the damaged car. their car. And I'm like, yeah, we saw him damage their car with his body when they drove into him. Um, and then they lie him. They've got him on the ground. And he's clearly subdued. And a cop stomps his head. Like, and it's, and, you know, the way the SBS News and all the, the way the news organizations refer to it is allegedly kicked him in the head. It's like, we can see the footage. He stomped his head. It's not nothing alleged about it. He goes, stomp. You can see him do it. I, w- I wonder if they've seen the movie Romper Stompers before. And my favourite bit is the punishment. He's been suspended, as someone points out, like a naughty schoolboy. On full pay, probably. On full pay. They've con- yep, they've confirmed it was full and pay. And, of the course, the police pretty- will investigate the police, because, which always has a really, really great outcome for the police. Well, we saw yeah. recently the one where they, they tase the, the disabled person at his house. They, they just acquitted themselves. They exonerated themselves. Of, yeah. Of, like, and it's on foot. Like, they couldn't be more brazen. Like, they just do this shit on camera and then they go, but it's fine. And then they, they But just, that's okay. After all the media attention from that event, you would think that things would get a bit better. Uh, no, no. Yeah, this okay, morning. I wouldn't because I saw you know, the whole BLM protest in Sydney, for example, where they're like, this stuff, this is a protest against police brutality. So, guys. While everybody's watching us, let's hold off on the police brutality in front of the cameras. Okay, let's like we can go back to the police brutality when the cameras turn around, but let's not do it on the police on the camera. Mm. And they couldn't resist themselves. Yeah, they still were like, oh, yeah, but even though we're being filmed and it's a protest against police brutality, we have to do some police brutality. We can't, like, come on, we can't have a day without can't police. They brutality. have a little police brutality as a treat. Yeah, like well, so that was what like, happened wait. this morning in Lilydale, where a, Just a little treat. A man with a knife who was pacing back and forth and someone was talking to him and he was just like, leave me alone, leave me alone. And the implication, though it's not ascertained or not, is that he is unwell in some form or another. But the police came and the police surrounded him. And apparently none of the police had tasers and he was pacing back and forth just like, I just want to go, I just want to go. And of course none of the police had tasers, so they shot him three times. Well, three shots were fired and they shot him in the chest. And that happened this morning in Lilydale. The best part about that is, and I use, again, like the word fantastic, use that word strangely, is someone called into 3AW while this was happening who was there and narrated the whole thing on 3AW for listeners. And, yeah, they were at that stage saying that he fired a gun. No, he had a knife. He didn't fire. It was the police who shot him. He's, he's in serious condition in the hospital. Because they shot him three times. And we also had another Aboriginal death in custody within the last week in Queensland. Oh, you're fucking kidding. So last week we had um, the the cops being bastards aspect, just simply the, you know, where they they were just like, here, we will will punish. A A cap. Yeah. Um, And they were doing the, because it's the the cop that was caught, like, giving giving out um, this woman's private information to her ex. And we talked about in last week's episode about how, that's actually incredibly separate to the safety thing. It's also incredibly disenfranchising. You have a whole lot of people who are on the run from violent ex-partners who are terrified to go to the police or to give their correct information to get Centrelink benefits or anything, who are literally homeless because they can't access Centrelink because they know that as soon as their name goes on the system, he's got a mate in the cops who'll find he'll find them. That's hugely terrifying. But then, you know, instead of the police taking it seriously, they punish the whistleblower cop who who and actually let the victim know that she... Because the victim was complaining and the cops were saying... Uh, were, were basically 
blowing her off and saying she's making it all up. Then a cop repeat actually re- revealed what had happened. So they punished that cop. And then when the guy, then this cop gets found guilty of the, well, he pleads guilty to it, that he's done it. All these cops coming in and giving him references to try and get him off. And then the judge being like, yes, but the problem, you know, we don't want to give him a conviction because then he won't be able to work as a cop and have access to the database that he clearly shouldn't have access to. Anyway, so we had that last week. And now we just have the cops being corrupt, backing each other up no matter what. We've got this week's just outright more more cop thuggery. Yeah. And then the the biggest part, like, I, the whole other aspect, the whole point of defund the police, the biggest part of it is that the cops are not qualified to do a lot of the stuff that they're doing. And you saw it with both of these, these these situations in Melbourne that we saw. They don't have the expertise to deal with people who are struggling. They're only they're like hammers, and they're only to a hammer. Yeah, like every problem looks like a nail. Like mental illness, or whether it's deciding, you know, whether someone should be permitted permission to enter another state due to the closed borders, you know, on compassionate reasons or because of their business. For some reason, police have wind, wound up with all these jobs. And they're yeah. not good at them. They don't know what they're doing. And they need they to are social back, workers. Their, their, their role, such as it is, in enforcing like the law where, it's, where, where force is necessary, should be limited to that. Yeah. Because that's how they approach every problem. And that's the worst outcome for most problems. I, you know, if you're going to have police who are the people with the weapons have a partner the partner should be a social worker it shouldn't be you know another police officer it should they should be paired differently they should have the support it's like you wouldn't send (sighs) yeah i I look at this point i I wouldn't be surprised if they start sending you know cops to do surgery on on uh you know people in immigration detention look we're there we don't trust these people we can do the surgery And you only have to look at, like, um, there was a great story on SBS and Doco about this um, police station that was only staffed by Indigenous people in a very remote area full of Indigenous people. And they've just had so Mm. much better cooperation and crime stats, and it's just good. Yeah. How broken do you have to be to think that this force-first approach... Even where, even if you think that there are legitimate places where force is required, and maybe there are, but the idea that that's a good outcome for all of these other things, and that's a good approach, like, what what is wrong with the people who are making these decisions who think that, you know, we should be just sending these hammers out to just treat everyone like a nail? And as has been pointed out, so many of these cases where police have been considered to have to be up for investigation for possible misconduct, they are more likely to get a promotion than get fired. Wow. Well, and, and that, if you want, if look, Daniel Andrews, I'm sure, doesn't directly run the police. You know, like, he's got, there's a police minister, and I'm also sure that, like, the police minister and the police force don't, like, the police force don't necessarily... He doesn't have a bat phone? No, I don't think He doesn't have, like, a red phone that he lives in. I, he has a direct I, line to every police officer that, on the street. I don't think that the Victorian Police's Commissioner Gordon gives a shit that much about what the, <sighs> the, the, the police minister says. But anyway, um, they're, they're, you know, obviously the, part of the police do ultimately answer the police minister. And I think that it needs a you need There needs to be two things, that, and that this is stuff that the police minister could do, that the government can do. Like, this is not beyond the powers of government. It's what has to happen, which is step one. Let's let's ignore the redirecting the police and and stopping sending off to do all, all the things that they're clearly not qualified for a second. 
let's go with a straightforward ending the corruption thing. Don't let the cops police themselves. You have an independent body that is separate from the police that, that, that does that, not the half-assed version that we have now. A proper, like, you know, um, sort of like a, a, an ICAC sort of thing. But separate to that, you get root and branch straight into the police academies and you root out this idea that is training to cops from the word go that their biggest loyalty is to each other. Against the... They're trained with this. That was more like what happened in Sydney where they, they almost had an outbreak because they were partying because they got one night off in Sydney at a police training bit or something like that. Well, I think it was an I think, I think it was an American one, but I think I'm I'm sure it's the same here, where they were like, you know, in the first day at the academy, what you what they're doing, they they're like, they give you a scenario, to weed out the sort of people who would dob on other cops because nothing's seen as worse than being a cop who dobs on another cop, and we saw it in Queensland, the way they punished that cop who reported the one who was who who, got, who abused the use of the database. Yeah, and so the one who reported her got, you know, written up for all these offences that were up to six years Including not wearing, old. like, six years ago, she didn't wear her hat. She didn't, or she, and, and one time she didn't attend a meeting she was supposed to. None of these were things she was ever written up on on the time. But when she reported the other cop, then suddenly they dug through the punisher. Mm. So I that, that feel like, is there a confusion between protecting your partner and protecting your mates in terms of, like, against getting shot in the job or getting hurt versus protecting them against other types of hurt that they may have opened themselves up to by acting in a corrupt manner. Hell, they can teach the cops from the word go that actually the best thing they can do for their fellow officers is root out the bad apples. Don't stand for it because every time you do that, you increase the public mistrust of the police, you increase the danger to you every time you go out. This kind of covering for your mates and being corrupt endangers you. It endangers all of you. It it, It turns your job into more of a war zone. So don't fucking do it. And and teach them that from the word go. Make make it very clear that whistleblowers are protected. Put in better infrastructure to protect whistleblowers. Encourage them. You know, don't... Anyway, that, that needs to happen, Word step one, and it's certainly something that is not beyond the power of, of a government to do. And, you know, to the extent that the state Labor government isn't going to do that, because of course they're fucking not, you know, they're to, well, they're to fact, blame this, this shit. State, like, they, they, deserve, that, they deserve to be trolled, to be, you know, be being punched in for it. For all that people... Just protect all whistleblowers as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a huge thing. And though. just stop giving cops so many jobs. Yeah. Yes. Like, that's exactly it. Like unfettered power and authority and responsibility. But I think that unfettered... Resp- like, like, the responsibility is part of it. The fact that is... We've cut all these social services, and I say we, I mean governments, have cut all these social services so there aren't any safety nets. So when things happen and things go wrong and someone has, say, a mental health breakdown or someone has a, an alcohol-related incident or someone they has... They let it get to as bad as it, is because, as it or, needs. They let it get as bad as it could. But they don't have so someone the else to call. They yeah. don't have anyone else to call, so they call the police because they're being sold this line from childhood that the police are there to help. Um but the problem is, the police aren't the people who should be there to help. There should be social workers. There should be psychologists. Well, the way they think they can there help should is to be shoot somebody. Other people. There should be other, you know, systems in there in place to help people. We should be helping people. We should be addressing the underlying issues of poverty that exacerbate all these issues. Um, and well, that, and the cops should have social pe- train example, people. Like when I got assaulted at a music festival, I was glad that the first person I got to talk to was a counsellor and that the police were secondary. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's the I thing. That an amazing thing for being able to be okay. Isn't that a huge part of it? Because now if you see somebody who is unwell with a knife or something, if you don't want them to be killed, you probably don't want to call the cops. But then, well, then like, it, you, you really want to have... You want to have the ability to call that where it's necessary, but you want to have sane people. You want to have them being required to attend with social work, people with people who will try to calm somebody down, talk them down, try to work with them, so that the for it's not like no response or deadly force, and those are the two options you have. Mm. Or, or a call to the ambulance and a call after the fact. Yeah. Or the weird thing is, if you're a woman and you're calling about something like domestic violence, you almost get the exact opposite reaction, which is... If it's not actively about to murder you, then it's like, oh, well, just calm down and everything will be fine. But then they have the other issue with that, which is that um, then the cops the cops have a big thing where they're really shitty at women who ring up and report family violence. And then the first time they go, the cops go to 10. They're like, excellent, coming out of the house. We're going to apply for an intervention order immediately. We're going to keep kick him out. He's not coming back. And then as soon as the person, because they're not at the stage that, at that point, that they want to end everything, they want protection against the violence, but they don't necessarily want to end the relationship. They don't want to, you know, there's all these ties with the person. Or they're so scared what ends up and happening, they don't have the safety net because the other resources aren't there. Yeah, and so then they go back to the person, and then they don't want to proceed with the intervention order or whatever. And then from then on, the cops are like, "No, nah, fuck you. We tried. We gave you the you had the one option, which was full on nuclear warfare right now, uh, and you didn't take it. So now we don't care. Like they're like, you, you, they, there's no nuance. Just realizing like." Often the worst thing in some situations, you know, whether it's DV or someone threatening suicide, is to call the cops on them. Yeah. It just often inflames it. But you also get the situation that once this happened, victims of family violence won't call the cops because they know that if they call the cops, they, they want the behaviour to stop, but they don't want it to escalate. And they know that the cops won't work with them and what their needs are. They will just go to 100 and so then they don't get the protection that they need at all. They're like, their choice is, you know, take it to a step I'm not ready for yet or mm. nothing and there's no middle ground. Oh. And so back in, back in when I lived in Sydney, we uh, lived next to a set of flats and one night heard someone screaming for help and couldn't get to the flats, right, because it's a set of flats. So we called the police and the police came. And apparently, in the end, the person who was screaming for help ended up getting charged because they had stabbed the person they were trying to defend themselves from. And it's just, but it is that sort of situation, like. Well, you're gonna be worried about calling the cops at any point because you don't know that they. You know, you have like, somebody what should I have done? Should I have not done that? Like, and I did it out of a place of naivety that they would help. If that, the cops anyway. are going to storm into a situation and start shooting, you never know. You, you can't call them because you may have just killed someone. Yeah, it's terrifying. And I, I really feel for it. There's been a few cases in America recently, a few uh, sto- news stories about people who have called the cops because they're dealing with a child. Um, and I think the most recent Well, like one the woman was, with the 13-year-old, yeah. Yeah, the most recent one, her, child, her child's autistic and he was having a bit of a breakdown and she, needed, she just needed a bit of help and she called the cops and they shot him. To death. Like, and that's not why she called the cops. She called the cops because... She was out of her depth and needed some help. And again, you know, talk about a place with no, no, like, we say we have no safety net here. Talk about a place with even less of a safety net. They have a tightrope and it's fraying. Yeah, their report, their response is often disproportionate to the situation. And talking about the safety net, you've seen, of course, that Scummo is going to keep cutting JobSeeker regardless of the fact that Victoria's still in lockdown. 
And regardless just, just of the fact have... that Deloitte has said it's a catastrophic decision, that it's going to further endanger people, it's going to damage the economy by like $31 billion, not only because of the high unemployment rates, and there literally are not enough jobs for people and job applications are gone up, but that by reducing that payment, you reduce people's purchasing power. So then people who are working in, especially in casualized labor, in retail and that sort of thing, will then get reduced hours and have those those flow on impacts because people can't purchase and therefore stores aren't making as much money. So therefore they don't have as many staff on. It, it's a big rolling effect. Yeah. But what if instead of putting that money directly into the economy, you gave it away to rich people in tax cuts? Mm. Yeah. It's like for every person applying for a job in the major cities, this is... There's only one twelfth of a job. And then the regions, it's like 28 people applying for every job. Yeah, but Tony Abbott and a bunch of liberal um, idiots think that uh, having a payment that's enough to live on, or at least, you know, at, at subsistence rather than many uh, hundreds eat of dollars below meals. subsistence. Like 80% yeah. of I mean, being able to eat your meals. Yeah, you will have to skip a meal when the payment goes down. And 50% said they might have to reduce their medication or ration it they're, they're a bit too old yeah but if you don't starve people how are you going to force young people to go and do backbreaking uh, work picking fruit for uh well less than award wages like how are you going to exploit young people if they have an option of uh surviving otherwise yeah they all these politicians they're too old to have heard of consum- consumption my favorite thing this week in regards to incentivizing young people to go and do jobs in the regions that definitely always earn you thousands of dollars like fruit picking and you can wear heels and have manicured nails so Tully's alluding to the WA government got slammed because they released an ad which was basically looked like a wine tour which was meant to be depicting fruit picking and it has a couple of well-manicured young women wandering through an orchard of cherries and just casually pluck a cherry with their well-manicured nails. I mean, that's just what fruit picking is like. What, are you suggesting that it's more like back-breaking work where it's piecework where and you get a paltry amount literally had to heat stroke you picks. and you had to go to hospital or die? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic. That's fantastic. And you're living in in barracks and oh my goodness. My favorite part is how they've tied that to the the farm that a lot of the farms are panicking because that's tied to the backpacker visa. So one of the ways they were able to boost their employment was by that requirement. If you wanted a two-year backpacker visa, you had to go for three months and would do a regional job. So they managed to be like, yeah. Um, What are you suggesting? Hang on, hang on. The fruit needs to be picked. hmm. People need that. The fruit needs to come off those trees. It needs human beings to do it. Are you suggesting that those human beings should be paid a fair salary for the work that they yes. do? Yes. Oh. And what's really interesting is, of course, well, I suppose they're that would be another way of approaching it. Sure. People from cities to do a short stay, forgetting that people probably don't want to give up their rental there to go for a short mm. stay, no. like. And that they would be living really far away from family and friends and might not have adequate training. Say, Maybe they have chronic illness. You say forgetting, Eliza, but, but what what if it's not so much forgetting as just simply not giving a fucking shit? Also, maybe that's just not in your interest. 
Well, and there's a few other things. For example, if you move to a regional center, if you move regionally, you could end up cutting because regional areas have higher unemployment than yeah, metro. Can off for it too. So Centrelink can cut you off. Is if you get migrant workers to do the extremely hard jobs in a country and then they can't vote the government out, then you don't have to worry about them and their rights. And you don't have to worry about raising other people's wages because they're not part of a union and they're not part of the everyday workforce. You're absolutely right. Um, Which has been really fun. So we had an actual story in our paper coming up, Narrow Court News, about T's meat workers. They're a real big employer of people, predominantly migrants, and they were whinging about how people are staying on job seeker rather than maybe applying for their jobs. Mm. Because yeah, the thing is, we want, we want them to work full-time but not be able to survive comfortably. We, we don't want them to have an option yeah, of surviving comfortably. Yeah, and one thing they said, they did admit that, oh, yeah, I guess we have been making people switch a lot between day shifts and graveyard shifts, like, more than you should for them to be able to regulate their sleep patterns. Oh, my God. That would kill me. Like, that would, uh, I, I don't do well with uh, that change to nighttime shifts. And I, but, yeah, I remember my dad used to be on that, and he used to do... A week of days, a week of afternoons, a week of nights. It bunkers up your body. It does. But so, it... so does the fruit picking. Like, all of this back-breaking labour, the, the other thing that shits me about it, so I'll, I mean, I'll talk to about employers who want to want to pay somebody for full-time work a paltry amount that is just enough to survive in the first place. So if you give somebody enough to survive without that work, then they're like, but then they'll survive and not give us their labour whilst barely surviving. But also with the, all the backbreaking stuff that they want to force these people to do, There's it wrecks cost. their bodies. Yeah, they don't have healthcare. They don't. They're left like they they wreck their bodies and then they're fifty and they're fucked and they die. That's that's they they, they are you know wrecked for the rest of their life and then they're just in in pain. They they're waiting you know twelve months, two years to get you know basic parts of their body looked at on Medicare. Like it's just a way of exploiting people right, without bearing any of the costs of the impact of that labour to them. You just like squeeze them like like the fruit that they're picking until there's nothing left of their bodies and then sort of turf them aside and, and, and start on the next juicy, you know, human beings that you can squeeze every every bit of... And the problem with that is they, then, they then talk about things like retirement and stuff. Well, you know, if you want to talk about raising retirement age and people needing to work, you're definitely not talking to someone who's picking fruit or you're not talking to someone who's doing, you know, like on-the-ground construction work because... Those people aren't the people who are going to want to be working for an additional five years. If you cannot get somebody to do your work because a subsistence payment is enough for them to survive and you're not willing to pay more than that, then fuck off, go out of business. And, like, you see jobs that are probably offering maybe decent paying conditions, like an admin assistant in a Melbourne firm was getting, like, 400 to 700 applications. Yeah, yeah there's... Another problem with fruit picking that a lot of people forget is the fact that the triopoly now with Audi, Woolworths and Coles have so stringent checks on the fruit that basically if it doesn't look like a traditional strawberry that you could draw in a cartoon, you can't pick it, even though it might be just as delicious as some looking fine. Yeah, yeah, but to be fair, it is the fruit picker's fault that the fruit that they're coming to doesn't look like that. Like they, they should definitely suffer and and uh, you know struggle even more after their labour because the fruit that they have no control over yeah. isn't isn't pretty enough. And maybe the, if they had a better manicure. 
and the the amount of fruit they have to pick per minute would if they had to go that far a distance they wouldn't actually physically in physics be able to reach that amount of fruit and that's, that's madness. the thing is it's really hard as we see this quote about how much you can earn as a fruit picker but that's like an aspirational target mm. uh. Like most people aren't able to perform to that. And it's a similar thing. There was an article in the Herald Sun while I was working my last job about a about people not getting into construction and how people aren't getting into carpet laying. This guy was saying how people aren't getting into carpet laying and you could make yeah, this thousand, is like, like you can make like six thousand dollars a day or like six thousand dollars a week laying carpet. And first of all, carpet laying is really back breaking and knee breaking. Literally, he, he was literally painting. He, there was no one. But he was... what he was talking about that six thousand dollars a week is what the senior guy would make if he had two juniors working for him yeah. full time doing most of the work, and they would each get a thousand dollars a week for maybe yeah. for their twelve hour days all week. And if they were lucky, they would manage to eventually be in that position where they could do that in about 10 years. What I'm saying is I reckon we should be paying people. But people are ungrateful these days and they won't work hard. I want to know why. Look, we can't get young. Just just leave it at that, Jeremy. We should just be paying people. Yes. Universal basic I want to know why we can't. Why young people today, like Kathy Freeman was able to run that length of race in... That really short time, apparently. <laughs> Drop it. Anyway. Drop. Anyway. On to my the point thing. is, I don't understand why young people that. today can't just keep that pace up indefinitely, just because it, at the very best, the very best runner working at the very best speed was able to achieve a run at a certain uh, unbelievably okay, like unprecedented amount of uh, pace. Why can't young people keep that up day after day? And just quickly though, while we just on JobKeeper and JobSeeker, how amazing it is, is that they're still going to go ahead with cutting it, even though Victoria's still mostly going to be in a huge amount of lockdown in Melbourne. And that, as we said, the job rates are crazy. Yeah, yeah. But but what you're forgetting is that Scott Morrison had a very good argument in response to that point, which was, I don't give a shit, go fuck yourself, Victoria. And, you know, hard to argue with it. Well, there is a certain irony in Peter Dutton saying that Australia is going to lose its humanity if Queensland can't open its borders to people, to white people. <laughs> Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton complaining about the inhumanity of Queensland on borders. He's... Well, basically white people who need to attend funerals in Queensland. Just, just the staggering, because it's specifically... Scummo and Peter Dutton, the two biggest assholes on borders in the last 20 years. And look, there are some massive other assholes, but Dutton and Scummo are the two worst. And just them... And, and, and the, the story, so it's it's a, a woman who wanted to go across to see her dying father and then she... No, he wants to attend the funeral. Well, she now wants to attend the funeral. Oh. They, they, but they're like, oh, we, we only raised this after Queensland, after the Queensland Premier raised it. But, um, of course... Scummo had the Liberal leader in New South, sorry, in Queensland, ask the Premier. The Premier responded. And then, like, seconds later, Scummo was on the radio being like, on Ray Hadley, being like, oh, just the inhumanity of these people, the people trying to cross their borders. I just, I just don't understand it. I don't understand. How can you be so inhumane to somebody who just wants compassion and mercy? And all you have to do is let them cross a border. And, and you're just, like, putting these borders above human beings. I don't understand it. And I'm Scott Morrison. It's not the sort of thing I would stand for. I believe that's a paraphrase. I didn't listen to it. It's almost as if we are only going to attack 
Queensland who have a Labor Premier and have an election in seven weeks where they're only about three MPs above LNP. Weird. But other states, including the entirety of Australia as a nation, have incredibly hard borders that don't allow confession, including SA, WA, and just Australia in regards to refugees. Oh, my God. I think you're suggesting... I think you're suggesting that they are cynically and disingenuously having a go at a Labor Premier for base political reasons and inconsistently compared with how they would treat... They are literally treating the other Liberal states at the same time. You're suggesting that this is some kind of political hatchet job. Uh, just, no, just... she's not suggesting it. She's outright saying it. I can't believe you're saying like, about, about Labor about WA are fortunate because their election's a little bit further away. You, but you might notice that the government did back... Clive Palmer's initial High Court case against WA, but I wonder if someone was lodging a High Court case against SA, whether they would have backed it, considering that SA is led by a Liberal. And that they just had their elections, so aren't going to have one for a while, so they can just keep backing them. That's right. Hi, uh, listeners of Well May We Say. Uh, it's Nick Carr here, your favourite little handsome boy from Queensland, hopefully. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sitting currently sitting in Queensland, sitting pretty in, my, in a small town in country Queensland, and I am very aware that there's a, an election coming up. Um, we've got a, currently got a Labor Premier who, you know, maybe not the most popular throughout her tenure or whatever, seems to be finding some ground here during the COVID crisis. People are really... Um, seem to be behind her for a border closures uh, up until recently when, um, you know, the Morrison government quite um, transparently with the Queensland election looming has entered in that, uh, taken pot shots at her, calling her heartless, uh, all because she refused um, someone to cross uh, the border. I mean, it wasn't her personally, I don't think. I think it has a lot more to do with the... Uh, the people in charge of the health side of it, but have refused the exemption for someone across the border to come to a funeral. Um, is that tragic that that happened? Yes. Is it sad that someone's missed a funeral? Yes. I'm, I'm sure that there's thousands of, hundreds of thousands of stories across the country of uh, things that people have missed out. Um, but I think the lesson we've learned is, especially in the early months of the pandemic, when the Liberal governments were, the LNP governments were putting pressure on Dan Andrews and Palaszczuk to open the borders early, when Dan caved to that pressure, um, you know, we've, we've seen sort of how that's played out in Melbourne. Um, and, and things here in Queensland have sort of been returning more to normal uh, than, in, you know, than in some of the other states. Like, uh, we're sort of getting back into it. And that's good. And I think that's popular with Queenslanders. But what worries me now is this new line from Morrison that she's heartless and she's cold. I'm worried that will work. Because it seems for a long time in this country we're not really voting for who's got the best policy and what policies has made, it, has made our lives better and what policies could make our lives better. Instead, we seem to mostly vote or more enthusiastically vote um, to punish those that we're angry with. We don't really seem to, you know, to, to vote, a, uh, vote for the right policies or smart ideas. We just like to punish... Like to, to hurt someone when we're told to. like, And I think that's what the Liberal governments for the last decades have, have won elections on is, is time after time they give us an enemy and we love that enemy because we're so scared. We're so, 
you know, we're not the lovable Arakans that people say we are. I really think that we're almost now heavily a, a nation of very scared people. I think we know that we're getting a raw deal. Um, and that life is getting harder and less certain. But rather than doing the work to think and plan and vote and, and try and push forward to make our lives better, it seems like we've got this impotent anger within us all where we just much prefer to just like, okay, well, I'm angry. My life's not where I want it to be. Who can I hurt? Who can I punish? And I think that this painting Anastasia as this wicked witch, this cold-blooded, hearted woman for, for sticking with a policy that up until this point has been effective – um, by, by doing that, the Morrison government are giving people an enemy. They're giving someone a lightning rod that they can just hurl all their anger and all their frustrations at, at the last few months at. And I think it'll work. And that's the sad thing. It's like, you know, I, I really genuinely think I'm worried that uh, someone who had the right instinct, because, uh, you know, it left out to the Liberal governments, they would have opened the states earlier. And then where, where would we be? And I, I think that the thing that saved us here in, in Queensland was that that opening up has been slower and more like and, and sort of more staged. And it seems to be like even though we've had small little outbreaks, it's mostly under control. Um, and I, I think that's what's really stuck in my craw this week to just that we're more focused as a voting nation on who we can hurt and who we can punish than how to make our lives better. Yeah. But that's okay, because Scott Morrison, he might have a bit of hypocrisy there, but he still knows how he's going to fix the economy. Oh, oh, he's, he's gonna, he got something. So, okay, so the money he's squeezing out of, he's taking from you know poor workers and ripping out of the economy that way, he's got something better to do with that taxpayer he money, does. does he? He absolutely does. He's going to invest in gas. And he's going to force the companies providing energy to invest in gas. Sorry, in what? Gas. When you say gas, is that a is that like an acronym for something? No, it's not an acronym for great alternatives um, to something. I don't know. No, it's it's not subsidize. Yeah, yeah, it's it's is actually it, gas. Is it anything like the like the, the like song? the stuff that comes out of coal seams and the the stuff that goes into the plants and the stuff that that destroys great the alternative basin. sustainables. Mm. Yeah, no, it's not great alternative sustainables. It's it's the really bad polluting. It may or may not be slightly better than coal um, gas. The one that they're planning not, on building new plants in mass, which is much more dispatchable. Mm. Or, or but but so or, or any of the renewables that are vastly cheaper. Or like, so wait wait this he's With the battery attached. He's talking about literally. Building new gas plants that last yeah. like thirty years or something, and if the companies won't do like, it, it's twenty twenty. So he wants gas plants that'll be running in twenty fifty. Yeah, that no private company will touch because it's so unprofitable. Well, that's why they're moving out of it, and that's why they're moving out of coal. And you know, when the big energy providing companies are like, "We won't do this." Well, that's obviously obviously it's profit. If you're... Always good when you're actually behind the free market that you claim to have as your constituents hey 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 but i think this was recommended to scummo just looking at it now wasn't it recommended to scummo by his covid task force now why would a covid task force made up of people who are presumably experts in public health and are definitely not gas industry executives why would an advisory body Look, that is made up because someone who was on the board of dow chemical or used to be the chairman of dow chemical who's now on the board for a saudi gas company is the very same person that Scummo says was telling him that he should do this? Just like that, what makes you think that that would he'd be biased or would have a conflict of interest? 
You know how they know what Scotty from marketing is thinking. I just love that when they when he made his COVID his COVID body his COVID advisory body and stuffed it full of gas industry executives. No, no, he also stuffed it full of people from the gaming commission. Funny. We were like, that's that's mad. Like, why? What is he going to suggest that the way out of COVID is to like build more gas plants? (laughs) Well, he is suggesting a gas led recovery. If you build enough of them and lights sparks in certain areas it probably will be the end of australia look 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 i suppose we've got to be like you know i'm surprised he didn't feel his covid body with bloody philip morris executives COVID if you don't have a population <laughs> Ooh, that is a great eradication strategy well, isn't there a solution to the bushfires to concrete over the bush we've got too much bush if we put concrete over it it can't catch on fire. It also solves the koala yeah. problem. What if we just kill all the koalas and Holy shit. How do we forestry how, management? How do we miss all of that? Like I, I we weren't even going to talk about the fact that the New South Wales Nationals decided to see the bill. Like it was just such this brief window where they were like, ah, fuck being in government. What if we just like threaten to blow up the government because we really, really hate koalas? And then they like, and then within a day, back bend over backwards to your actual leader. <laughs> I don't know. To be honest, if Gladys Berejiklian had me in a room and stared at me like hard, I might fall too. Well, not going to send you in there to negotiate with her, are we? Um, I, I love. I love. That they were like, we're not going to be treated as a junior partner of the Liberals. We party that gets like fewer votes than the Greens, more seats because they're concentrated geographically, but like a tiny number of votes. Um, no, we're important. The party damn that it! Has continually been losing to. Greens, Independents, and Shooters, Farmers, Fishers. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, because we, we they want don't our actually dignity. represent rural people. We demand our dignity, and most importantly, we're going to spend whatever capital we have fucking killing koalas. We really fucking hate koalas. I mean, just... They're fuzzy. I did love... There were some good jokes about that. People were like, wow, koalas using the two hours they're awake to destroy the New South Wales Coalition. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Or like, yes. It, it is a very impressive sword to die on. <laughs> like, they're not even bears. They could well, make I was say, why did they're they, not even bears. Why didn't they pre- just pretend they were drop bears? Oh, it's not going to work here, but I suppose it's like... They're the most beloved animal in terms of, like, getting people to fundraise and conserve other wildlife. Even though, arguably, they're the most, like, ridiculous animal. They're just not evolutionary yeah, no, how, how are they fucking still alive, like, really, frankly? It's just... I don't get it. They're I mean, they're not... Koalas are a mess. The, the pandas of Australia. But so is the Nationals. <laughs> why, why, are the, why are the koalas not the fucking emblem of the Nationals? It's just, uh, it was just astonishing. I mean, like, that seems like it would be electorally popular. Anyway, it's very exciting because we are now back in... So where we have moved in Wangaratta, this, this is a whole chunk of Victoria that was... So Melbourne had it briefly, but this whole chunk up here during the bushfires last year, was just solid smoke fumes, like smoke for weeks and weeks at a time. You know, not not quite Sydney, but yeah. like that kind of... Um, and of course, yeah, we're pretty excited about being here for, for that season this year. It is astonishing to me that after that season, after what we had last year, that Scummo is literally coming out and being like, I, 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 see, I see we've got a bushfire problem and I see we've got a COVID problem and I, I feel like the way to, way to solve this is to like completely exacerbate one and pretend that it's helping the other. I just... Building your gas, it's it's deranged. How how is this? How is it not political suicide? We we just had a summer where my like millions of Australians couldn't freaking breathe. 
how he, he's basically fully just bending over. Yeah, one hundred percent. And he's even naming them, which point. is yeah. That that was the bit that got me. That he was specifically like, yeah, yeah. This this guy from the from the gas company was telling me this, and I should definitely do it. And I, yeah, that's the stuff he's so important. That's you don't say the quiet bit out loud. On the issue of borders and representatives, everyone doesn't talk much about places like SA because they just people aren't as interested as Queensland. There's not as many people on the border, not as many people wanting to go tropical Queensland for holiday. But what is really interesting is that SA will have an election in 2022 and we're in a blue ribbon seat here historically in the Limestone Coast. But I do think that people have a decent memory and they will be pretty upset about some of the harsh border closures and the effect that it's had on families and agriculture and just economics. And so it'll be really uh-huh. interesting if that will do anything to Adelaide. Let, let alone yeah, when it gets to will... Christmas and about half of the tourism mm-hmm. is happening to these tourist towns in this area. Yeah, so Robe in the Limestone Coast is owned by six, 60% of homes there in Robe are owned by people in Western Victoria and they currently have no access and there's a there's a similar thing here where there's been a lot of issues with agriculture and the border and the various border closures and the various border zones there they created and it's like well you know stock sales were considered essential but if you lived with outside of a zone you still had to quarantine for 14 days wasn't there a problem that they couldn't that the people there were a lot of melburnians who owned land yeah. up here who couldn't come up and now clear they're it? having now they're having the issue. The CFA is having the issue. Is this is the time where you would clear like the gla- grass and things in your land and your weeds, and people can't come up and do it. And there's a lot of small land ho- small landholders who live in Melbourne and can't come up here. Yeah, well, that, that'll be about what's blamed for the bushfires this year. They'll yeah. be like, well, and, that's, oh, it's and what they're of worried about, up. what they're worried about this year is grass fires because they're worried about because of it, it's actually been a very wet spring. Um, that there's a lot of grass and weeds growing. Did you see the solution that I think it was New South Wales was proposing? It was on popped up on ABC the other day, um, and they were all these pictures of these stationary grain trucks that are like you know three trailers worth, um, and they don't have enough drivers for them at the moment because of the border closures. So they're like, we want to pitch, we want more grey nomads to be driving the trucks. And you know, I'm not that old, but I feel like my eyesight and my reaction times aren't improving. I'm not sure that by the time I'm a grey nomad, you really want me barreling down the highway in a very large truck carrying like three trailers worth For of grain For eight hours at a time? I don't, I don't feel that would make the highways more safe. It's not like there's a stereotype of caravan drivers that exist already that drive about 20 or 30 k's below the speed limits on highways. Well, to be fair, that would be better than a bunch of um, grey nomads who are trying to hit uh, trucking deadlines who are messed up to the eyeballs. Yeah, not ideal. <laughs> Not ideal at all. I'd rather the trucks were going 20Ks under the limit than the grey nomads driving them at the, at the speed limit. Hoons, all of them. What, yes. what I'm saying right, is well. they drive 20 or 30Ks because that's literally the pace they can drive at. And if they were driving a giant truck, they'd probably drive 50Ks or under. Or if they got anywhere close to the speed limit, they would fishtail and probably cause a lot of damage. Yeah, it'd be scary. Now that said, I, I feel that we should, you know, make sure that we don't. None of our grey nomad listeners, who are a huge demographic for this podcast, we're not saying that you're not good drivers. I'm just saying that if I were a grey nomad, I probably my, my driving would probably not have improved in need of any time. I'm also saying that it's terrifying the idea of you guys being messed up to the eyeballs and driving heavy, heavy trucks. But just I'm, don't I, you do know what? I, I actually was saying that. Yes. Uh, what I'm saying is, if you're a grey nomad, please, if there's anything you take from this episode tonight, 
Don't vote for the state liberals. Um, also, don't do meth and drive a truck. Like, <laughs> those two things. I, I thought that was the main message. Just if you're a grey med, grey nomad, just don't do meth. Hmm. Anyway, I don't know how long. Like, I don't know how much we're being exposed to your plague uh, germs uh, over this Skype from your, you know, your plague hotel. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how sa- how safe it is for listeners to continue it too much longer. And I know that you guys have some um, heavy duty. Uh, police sitting in the room waiting staff. for the police to knock on the door for the rest of your evening. Um, how, how can people find you on the Twitters whilst if they want to check in with you whilst you're enduring your last few days of quarantine and then when you escape afterwards and uh, and can sort of... Like, have you figured out what... I, I assume that your exit of the hotel is going to be something like when Homer Simpson finally leaves Springfield and he's just like, so long, stink town! Have, have, you, have you got your final the exit? To behind th- him? Um, yeah, we got told <laughs> today by nurses that we can... We have to wear our masks as we walk out of the door and then we can just fling them off like we're flinging off a bra and never wear them again, even though this has protected us from colds and flu. Could you put like glitter underneath the mask so when you fling it, you fling glitter everywhere? Well, I assume I you can set up like... I do that. But what we're actually <laughs> yeah, going to do 100% is not Eliza will do the masks. Yeah, can you at least do like... being set- well. Yeah. Fair enough. But back to the it's question. It's that attitude that's why you've, you've needed to have two quarantines so far. Also, We're I need to stop exposing myself. I'm nervous about all the naked faces here. It, it is yeah, really weird. fair enough. I assume we're never going back to naked faces. Probably not. But where can we find you on the Twitters? You can find me at Verb Eliza. So like a verb, V-E-R-B-A-L-I-Z-A. And you can find me through a series of clues in her Twitter and you might find me. My mysterious fiance but yeah i'm gonna go out and get my hair cut and washed because i have a broken wrist and i can't wash it myself oh that's one thing we forgot to mention where the washing arrangements for our clothes are basically laundry powder and the bath the shower and the kitchen sink I assume that they just sort of had a furnace and they just like expected you to chuck them in and your clothes like sort of squeaked as they were being incinerated. I'm pretty sure that's what happened to our first allotment of sheets. <laughs> Dumped them in a, in a fire. But um, we wish our Victorians well and we hope that we can welcome you by Christmas to South Australia. Denise, how can people find you on the tweets? I am still at Deetsy, D-E-E-N-S-E-Y. Uh, and people can find us at Well May We Say and if you have any... I was a bit disappointed that nobody took stuff on our uh, therapeutic offer, our, our advice offer. It's for people who are having unfortunate interactions with family members or friends on political subjects and who would like to brainstorm. A bit of the uh, L'Esprit Escalio, the, 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 what, what we should have said or what we could have... The uh, well may we say agony ant. Yeah, uh, for how, to, how to deal with uh, strange ranting that happens in your, private, in your personal life. I will boost that because I am starting to have those problems with friends about like how do you deal with a friend who is kind of getting swept up in conspiracy or listening to Alan Jones thank you very much to all our Patreon subscribers thank you for keeping on supporting the podcast it means a lot to us and is how the podcast keeps going thank you to everybody who has left a positive review on the iTunes which is not a lot of people recently so if you I mean if if you still have an iTunes and you want to rate a podcast you could rate ours you don't need my permission you obviously could rate what I'm saying is say something nice because I'm incredibly insecure and, and, and praise is, is just... Pre- it's okay. We love you. You should rate it. Yeah. yeah but pa- pander to my insecurities rather than taking advantage of them. Yeah. So thank you very much. To- Less pandemic, more pandering. Yes, I like it. There you are. That's the name for this week's episode. 
Otherwise, thank you, everybody. For, uh, thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. Thank you, Alex Long, for the artwork. And we will see you all next week. Bye. See you then. Bye.